can't. Okay, great. All right, great. I'm just going to share my screen. And tell me if everyone can see that okay. Can you hear me? Yep. Yep. Looks good. All right, great. Well, good morning, everybody. I really appreciate you taking your, your precious time um, to sit with me today. A little introduction. As I said, I put I put the link to subscribe to my blog in the chat just for convenience for everyone in case you want to subscribe. I'm, of course, I'm Chris Whalen, CPA. I run a full-service CPA firm. Um, we're business and individual tax experts. I've been licensed for a very long time. I'm actually a grandpa now. That's how old I am. But of course, I give a free consultation. And my motto is, if we aren't working for you, then you aren't working at your best, right? You're almost there, but you need to hire me to get to 100%, of course. So what makes Gloria and I so successful? Everyone asks me that question. Our secret is that we're available 25-8. So I always say we're, that's my secret. So now we have a cell phone rule. We all know what the cell phone rules are, unfortunately, but I don't stick to those rules. I tell everyone, turn your ringers up loud enough so you can hear them, because any call you get is more important than anything I'm saying, which is always true. I, ne I, I never mute my phone. It could be money on the phone, so I never mute it. One thing for self-employed people, in 2020, they created a special form, a 7202 form, that was a special coronavirus credit for sick leave and family leave for self-employed people. Now, if you were self-employed during those years, 20 and 21, you really want to check if this form was there because there could be thousands of dollars of credit that were left on the table and, and um, you want to go back and check. So that they, this was new for 2020, it related to coronavirus. This form should have appeared on either 20 or 21 return. If not, contact me because this is a great credit. It's very easy to get if you're even single with no children or if you had children, it's even a greater credit. So everyone take a note. I put this up top because it's very important and it's real money. See if you had this form on your 20 or 21 return. If you didn't, contact me so I can we can go over how much money you could have gotten so then we can amend your return and get that money for you. The child tax credit is going to be dropping down from about $3,000 to $2,000 per dependent for 22. The reason why I bring this up is because some people have planned their estimates based on last year's credits. And so there, so you might, if you have two or three children, there might've been $3,000 that you got last year. You're not going to get this year in a difference. So watch for this this year. This might make you owe more money or get less refund than you think. So, because the, the credit went down so substantially. All right, now this is a really important point. New Jersey real estate agents forever could not form an LLC or an S-Corp. It was a big mistake. People did it anyway, but it really was against your licensing board. So now you can, and everyone's excited about it. And so let me just talk about what does it really mean so we don't make a mistake and jump into forming an LLC. So a sole member LLC files a Schedule C, and that's exactly what most realtors have been filing with their 1099 just like a sole proprietor. So there is no tax benefit to forming an LLC if you're gonna stay a sole member one. That's very important. And, and people would think they want the limited liability, but most agents already have a uh, the E&O insurance covered by, their, covered by their, their broker. So 
An S-Corp, though, may give you tax benefits now, depending how much money you make. And that's a separate discussion. So you could learn more than you could schedule a meeting with me. Hold on a second. I don't see all of this. There you go. All right, great. And any questions about this, just put in the chat. Gloria, let me know, okay? Will do. Thank you. All right, so let's talk about the housing market. Um, is the housing market cooling? So this is my this is a listing in Rumson I just passed by yesterday. So it's getting a little cool. So we'll turn that off. All right, one second. There you go. All right. So are you prepared for the adjustment, right? We have a big adjustment, and this is also for ancillary people that work around the home industry, right? Doesn't apply to real estate agents only. All these people are affected. When housing starts going down, then all of these, the mortgage reps, contractors, legal, legal and accounting professionals are all impacted, right? So what do you do in this year to outdo the competition in your industry, right? We have this great coronavirus uptick. Everyone seemed like a genius able to sell any house, right? So if you're simply going to use the planogram selling tools given to you by your managers, you may fail. This is the time to think outside the box, right? I think we're going to see a reduction in realtor, mortgage rep, and ancillary workforces, similar to 2008-9. So let's do the let's do our best to survive this year and not be part of that reduction, right? Status quo may not work. So remember, home sales support everyone. I just wanted to put this graphic up to say that for every house for every house that's sold on average, there's $113,000 of other impact and other ancillary businesses or professions. So every house we don't sell has a domino effect in the negative way to, to hurt everyone else that works around the industry. So let's talk, let's, let's, let's get into some taxes right now. So if, so on your tax return, most of us know you can either itemize your deduction or use your standard deduction, right? For example, a married couple, a married couple can take a standard deduction of 25,900. That's almost double what it used to be. So a lot of people feel that they can't itemize anymore, but that's really not true all the time. So this could be a mistake. Many times charity and medical can take you over the standard deduction. So don't forget that medical and charity are, are, are itemized deductions, right? So medical taxes, real estate, state income taxes, mortgage interest, HELOC, points paid for home purchase, charity, cash and non-cash. So all of these things, you should be accumulating totals because if you're close, especially, we can get you over that standard deduction number because if we can have a higher itemized deduction, of course, it saves you taxes. So that's what we're shooting for. We like to do itemized instead of standard, right? So I wanted to give you this here. This shows you different filing statuses so you know what number you're looking to get over. You know, you, this is for every different status here um, that you might be single, had a household separately, what is your number for standard deduction that we're looking to beat? Now, the, one of the main things that people miss is charity. A lot of people are afraid of charity because they can't get a receipt for everything, so they avoid it. But that's a bad idea. I did, I did a lot of research on this, and I came up with a chart to give you guys an idea. Well, what's a normal amount of charity to take? Because I get this question here all the time. Does do the charitable contributions trigger an audit? Okay, the answer is no. But I wanted to, so everyone take a look at this, this, this screen here, this little chart. And I want you to notice the, inc the income ranges on the back. 
on the on the left side and what their average charity is and look at the the right side it shows you that the more the more money that you make the more you give to charity that makes sense you see you started four percent it goes down to people making a million dollars 94 percent of them are giving to charity every year now let's look at the middle column this shows you the average cash charitable deduction they take so this is the 50 percent average by 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 income range so let's take a look at a uh, hundred to two hundred thousand so they're averaging almost four thousand dollars of cash charity so you guys should be thinking of this too i'm sure when you go to buy girl scout cookies you're buying a million of them when you go past the salvation army bucket you're putting in all your change all the time so 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 this is something to remember that the look at these figures if you're 200 250 thousand dollars you might be up to up to six thousand the average so taking a charitable deduction might put you over that standard deduction limit don't avoid it don't be afraid of it it's something to talk to me about what's reasonable and then also everyone should also be taking non-cash charity everyone's donating things almost every year bags of clothing old books old furniture so every year you should have a non-cash also so all that can also help to put you over your standard deduction so don't miss this do a little homework on it. Any questions, of course, call me. We can look at your numbers and talk about what's reasonable, okay? This is Accounting 101 for business owners. I, I'd like to go through this and bring you up to date. Um, I hope there's, I know, I know there's more people on here besides real estate agents today. So first question, do I need to pay estimated taxes? For some reason, real estate agents don't like to pay estimates all the time. Now I know that's because you have cyclical income why would you pay a first quarter estimate in April when you haven't had a closing in the first quarter? I agree with you. So someone like you that has that has that has variable income streams, we should be paying estimates when we get a commission check. That's what that's what I try to set up with my clients. So here are some questions. Did you owe taxes with last year's return? Then the answer is yes, most likely. Did you earn more money than last year? Then most likely you're going to owe estimates or more than you thought. So if so, most likely yes. Remember, you cannot wait until April 15th to pay your taxes when you're self-employed. There are high, high penalties if you don't pay as you go. Again, you might not do equal quarterly estimates because of your variable and cyclical income, but when you get money, that's the trigger that you owe tax. So always consider putting money, paying money immediately when you get a commission check. You can always call me to see, well, what percentage should I pay, right? What percentage federal and state should I pay? By looking at your tax return, especially if I did it, I can tell you exactly what to do. So pay quarterly or pay on time when you get paid. Big question I get, you need to keep your business records for seven years and any tax supporting document. If it, if it has nothing to do with your tax return, I don't need to keep it. So if you have a bill that's not related to like a water bill at home, something like that, if you take a home office, you need to keep that though. So seven years is the rule. After seven years, we can shred it. Now, this is a very important point for self-employed people of all kinds. I tell everyone listening, there's no one that's listening that has that uses the same a personal account for all their business transactions. So no one here is commingling their business and personal transactions. Of course, I'm being facetious, but if you don't have a separate account, please make a separate account in your name going forward and put all your income in there, pay your expenses out of there, and pull your net into your personal and pay your bills there. The reason why I say this is because if the IRS starts asking you questions, the first thing they're gonna ask for is copies of your bank statements.
your business bank statements. If you put everything with your personal, you have to show them everything. I know this seems like a pain in the neck, but it's really helpful at the end of the year, one, to help you keep track of your accounting for your business. Imagine how simple it'll be if every transaction in that checking account or that credit card is business, we, we know we have to categorize all of them. We don't have to worry what's business or personal. So this is a great trick, and I know it's a little more work, but it's so helpful in the future on, on a number of levels. Home office deduction. Remember, every realtor and most people that are self-employed have a home office. Now, many are afraid to take it. Almost every realtor that I get as a client, a new client, does not show a home office, and that's, that's terrible. Right? It doesn't reduce your basis. And does your tax return reflect the home office? I can send you a worksheet how to develop the numbers to, to, to take a home office. It's pretty straightforward. Um, but remember, and you can send me an email and request that. So remember, a realtor, especially your, your office is not the broker's address. Your, your office is your home office. So the moment you step out of your house, you're traveling for work. So remember, that is where you work. And you happen to go into the broker's office every now and then. So don't be afraid of home office. Anybody, anyone running a business, even if you have a corporation or a partnership, you should also be making sure you take a home office deduction on that return to give yourself a credit flowing through. A lot of owners of partnerships don't do that, but they or S-Corps, but they really should. All right, what can we deduct? Now, don't limit any payment that you make that relates to your business can be deducted. That's important to remember. But some are a blend of personal and business. So what I do is, so for example, I still have two of my children on my cell plan. I go on each month, I pay with, I pay a third with my business and I pay two thirds with my personal. Perfect. Cell phones with family, same thing with Easy Pass. The important thing here is that if you have something that's blended business personal, you always want to pay it through your business all the time because at the end of the year, it's much easier for me and us to talk about what we need to extract as personal if you pay your easy pass and one account over here and your cell phone over here, it makes it a lot harder to grab your info. So if it's partly business, partly personal, no problem paying it through the business. We can analyze it together later to make sure we only take the business portion. Same thing with credit card charges. Canceled checks are very important. We don't write that many, but we need them. You need to have a copy of them every month when you download your bank statement. I urge everyone to make sure that your bank is giving you copies of your canceled checks with your downloadable bank statement. A lot of a lot of banks are saying, no, we have a portal, click and print them, but that goes away after 90 days and that's not a, and and uh, and that's not a uh, and again, that's not feasible or practical. The IRS is going to write to us two or three years from now and those checks are gone. All right? Online bank storage is not enough. All right, so let's talk about Let's talk about the, the the let's talk about the auto auto expenses. So now, I get a lot of questions about this, and there's a lot of confusion. Do we take actual? Do we take mileage? Right. So the higher the mileage, usually the mileage method is better, and I'll go over why. In the first year, though, we when you place a vehicle in service, we we check which is better, your actual or your mileage, and then we make a decision that we must elect and use it forever. So once you make an election for a car, you can't suddenly change it later because the benefit's going to be better. Because the benefit's going to be better. Um, and now remember, whether you lease a car or buy a car, the mileage method 
you have to keep track of your miles. And people that lease a car don't understand that, but it's true because we still have to see what the business portion is. But lease cars can also use the mileage method. But mileage logs are required with both of them. And this is a big problem where this is a big problem where clients don't keep track of this. If the IRS is if the IRS is going to bother you, if the IRS is going to bother you in a few years, they're going to they're, they're going to target your largest expenses, and that's mileage and travel is one of the main ones. And if you don't have the detail they need, they're going to add that back and charge you tax and penalties and interest. All right. One other important point here: remember, tolls and parking are always separate from whatever you do with your car expense. A lot of times people think when they use mileage method that they can't take their tolls. It's always separate, so always give me that. And parking's always separate too. That's a very common mistake. Here's the mileage rates in 22. Be careful if you do your own taxes. They split the year. So you're gonna have to do a special form to split the mileage that you had between these two rates. And here's the much larger rate due to inflation that we're gonna get for 23. And that's a pretty large number, that's 65 and a half cents. So mileage logs. Many of us don't keep track of our daily travel, but as I said under audit, the IRS is going to look for this and they can deny it without the proper proof and support. So what can we do? So what are the basic rules? No estimates are allowed. We need the exact mileage. Each trip has to be itemized and the mileage totaled annually. I know this seems onerous, but I can give you some hints and tricks that will help you to do this without it being too much work. I show this every time I do this presentation because I, I wrote the IRS about 20 years ago and I asked them, what do they have in their records that shows exactly what they want? And we can look how ridiculous this is. As you can see, they want to start and stop odometer reading every time you get out of the car. So if you were showing five houses today, or making five stops in your business, you would have five lines showing your odometer every time. So we can't do that. They don't really expect that, but I'm trying to show you how detailed they are. Um, Chris, I have a question um, regarding if you purchase a car that you leased, can you change the method you use for mileage? Well, the purchase isn't a lease. So you mean, you mean she leased the car? Yes, and then purchased it. They leased it and then turned it over. I mean, at the end of the lease, purchased the car. Yes. So the question is, can you change it at that time? Yes. When when I the, I consider that placing something in service new, and then we can make all new decisions about it. Okay. I have um, one more question, and this goes back to the the um, deduction. Somebody had asked, "What is the opinion on dry cleaning expenses?" You can't take dry cleaning expense. Only entertainers can. Okay. Technically, and technically. Maya put in the in the uh, chat. Looks like Mile IQ is an amazing app that you can mark each drive, personal or business. That's yes, I'm, just I'm, a, I'm getting to that, and that's great. Perfect. You're, great. you're right in sync with where I am. It was Maya. Yeah. Maya. Yep. Thank you, Maya. So, what can we do to comply? We have mileage apps. So Maya is right in right in perfect sync with me, right? So, but they're not enough. Mile IQ is great because it'll let you swipe and say some travel was business. That's awesome. So we need that. That's great. But remember, it doesn't give us a lot more information we need. We need the exact address. We need the client involved and the business purpose, right? So what you want to do as an adjunct to MileIQ, you want to make sure you simply have 
every address you're going to during the day in your calendar. It's not too much work. Make a different entry for each one and put the client name there also because that along with your mile IQ will sync perfectly, right? Think about it. If I have your mile IQ for Tuesday, January 2nd and your and I have your calendar, they should sync up really well. That's that that's the beginning of great proof. So if we have both of those and to present, I have all I have all my total miles for business. But one thing is missing. So you simply add your destination to your calendar with your client name, print out the monthly reports and save. If you have both of these, you're 99% there. But one thing that's missing, the beginning of mileage method, the beginning of tracking your miles is total miles. Remember, so it's not just your business. So you can do the mile IQ in the calendar, but by law, you're supposed to have total. So how do we do that? We can't just go to Jiffy Lube and say, I got my oil changed in March and try to estimate. And we also, writing it down is okay, but what I do is I send out a blog post on New Year's Day where I say, take a picture of your odometer. That's a really good proof with a date stamp. So I have I get hundreds of pictures every first of the year that I archive for my clients. So that gives us everything. We'd have beginning and ending miles. We know the grand total. You've kept the mile IQ. You've kept the calendar, which is not too much work. You need to know where you're going anyway. And then I can present all of these things and then we can substantiate to the IRS what your travel is, and there'll be no change and no no tax or penalty. Hope that makes sense to everybody. All right, so that's that's great. Amount of mileage. So this so get on my get on my blog list so you get reminded to take a picture. And again, some clients don't do it. I don't know why, but I I think it's a good idea. So try to make it a habit. This is very 2021 meals used to be 50% deductible. They're now 100%. Now, a meal is a, a sit-down dinner, lunch with a client for business purposes. Now, a meal is not if you make a presentation somewhere, if you're a business owner, you do an open house or something like that as a realtor, the, 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 that's marketing expense. That's never meals. That's a marketing expense. Now, the difference here is that entertainment is no longer deductible. So entertainment separate from meals are tickets to Atlantic City, hotels, Broadway shows, Yankee tickets, things like that, that those are not deductible anymore at all, but meals are 100%. So remember that some people make the mistake of thinking meals and entertainment are all excluded now. That's not true. I get a lot of returns when no one took meals last year because people didn't know exactly what they were doing, okay? Chris, I have a question that came up. Um, it, it was, if you finance a new business car for five years, can you depreciate its value each year for five years to reduce taxable income? So I guess the emphasis would be on financing the car. Yes, remember, this is a really good point. When you finance anything, it, right, it, it's bought, it's purchased by you, the financing doesn't matter. So same thing with a credit card. I could have a, a million dollars of credit card uh, credit card expenses or things paid on credit card at December 31st. I can take them as a deduction because I owe the money on the other side. So the financing doesn't matter. And so what? remember with depreciation, sometimes people buy a truck and that could be immediately expensed through depreciation. Or yes, if you have a passenger vehicle like an E-Class, that would be depreciated over time. So the depreciation has nothing to do whether you paid cash or whether you financed it. All right. Great, thank you. No, you're welcome. Great question. 
So gifts, I'm gonna, everyone should raise their hand if they give gifts in business, but we don't give a gift in business. I never have gifts in a tax return because a gift is something different than really your marketing. When I give a Home Depot gift card to a client at a closing, that's marketing expense. If I, if I knew I would never get any business out of it at all, I'm not doing it. So it's more, it's a marketing decision. So, so don't ever have gifts on your return. Cause it really, if you look at the IRS definition, it doesn't even apply. So, so put it to marketing or advertising. As I always say, my clients know that already. Um, and that makes you think of people avoid giving those, what they thought of were gifts because they think it's not deductible and they're missing out on marketing opportunities. So now you don't have to have this 25, there was a $25 limit. Everybody thought about giving a gifts to one person per year, but now don't worry about that, right? And we can, you can spend more money in that area um, and, and know it's fully deductible now. Now, remember for self-employed people, we still have tremendous retirement deductions available for you. Solo 401k and SEP IRA are, are two of them. They're 100% deductible for yourself, and it's one of the best deductions you can take still. So please consider putting your money away for retirement. My clients know when I do your return at the end of the year and send you a draft, I include a whole section on what your SEP IRA deduction could be and how much tax you can save. Let's, let me give you an idea. So to do a SEP IRA, you, you can use 25% of your net Schedule C. So let's say that's $25,000, right? So you can immediately deduct that. If you're in a 20% bracket, think of all the money that saves. So you're, you're, you're really putting away 25,000, but you're saving 20% of that, all right? And so we have $5,000 that you're not paying in tax. So you're putting away 25,000, but it only costs you 20. So there's no better investment than that. There's no better return on that. So. If you're not thinking about this or your account is not pushing this, please talk to me about it because it's one of the best deductions that self-employed people have over W-2 people. Chris, I have two quick questions. One was regarding the gifts. Do they need to be branded? Absolutely not. Okay. And the second question is entertainment can't be considered advertising? If you're well, it depends on what you, if you're if you're if you're bringing a client to Atlantic City and paying for a room at the Borgata, no. <laughs> okay, great, thank you. I know, I know, it should, doesn't make any sense because I think I think that that all was a failure of the hotel lobby. I think about it. That's who it hurts. I have plenty of clients that would send clients, you know, to Vegas for a weekend, do a quick trip to the Bahamas, you know. So the travel and hotel industry. Their lobby failed. I, I couldn't believe that happened. And so, but no, you you have to, have to be careful. But if you're in the middle on something, always call me immediately. Give me a text. Everyone knows I'm looking to help. And especially everyone here, if you don't have a CPA on call, if you have questions, if you have a sitting with a client, and if I can any way help you solidify that deal or make you look good by saying that I'm your CPA on retainer, make sure I'm in your phone because I take calls like that every day. Even if you're not my client, I'm looking to help everybody. And of course, it leads to business, but I'm always available to help you to clarify something with your clients to make them look, you know, to make you look good. Okay, I have, is it too late to do a SEP IRA for 2022? No, absolutely not. So that's a, the other good thing. A regular IRA would be due April 15th, okay? So 2022 regular IRAs are due April 
Even if you extend your return, it doesn't matter. You can't go further than that. The, the, the SEP IRA is, has good rules. And the rule is you don't have to, you, you, you can wait to pay your SEP until your return is filed. So if you could see my office, I have all these folders to my left that a lot of clients, you would see them during the year because they don't have the money for the SEP. So let's say in my example, it's March 15th. And I told you, hey, uh, you can, Glory, you can do a $5,000 SEP. It's going to say, it's going to save you a $25,000 SEP, but you don't have the money right now, especially, especially a lot of people, their, their income is light in the first quarter. So what we can do is we, we get your return ready. We, we, we pay anything we need to pay and we put you on extension. And so technically you can pay into your SEP IRA through October 15th of the following year if we put you on extension. So plenty of leeway. It's tremendous that you can do it that late into the new year. So there's really no excuse at least to try to, again, I push this so much because it's one of the best deductions with real tax savings that a lot of people aren't saving for. Also, let's say you're getting, let's say you get on the program to do a SEP. Well, you could put money in every month during the year and, and bank it just like other savings. That's also a good idea. So Gloria, you were going to have 25,000 at the end of the year to pay for SEP. Maybe you could be putting a thousand away every month. So we got 12,000 in the bank. So when tax seasons come, tax season comes, we could pay the difference. All right, does that answer the question, everybody? Yes, that's great. A uh, big difference between SEP IRA and a regular IRA. Um, is Are you being penalized if you need an extension? Does it cost anything? Um, they've never done it before, but they're curious. Absolutely not. But the most important thing that everyone is not taught is that it's not an extension to pay the money you might owe. It's only an extension to file the return. So that's why if you are going to go on, that's why I just talked about, let's say I was doing Gloria's return. We get it 100% ready and done. Let's say she owed $500 with the return to federal. So we, we, we pay that with the extension. So by the time we file Gloria, let's say in August, Gloria has paid her 25000 in the SEP. She calls me, hey, Chris, get my return done, get it e-filed. So she'll have zero due if we did everything right. So yes, no no penalty for an extension. There's no audit risk from an extension. Don't worry about all of that. It's a great tool to use. I do hundreds of these a year. I do. I've never had one of them audited at all for this is in 37 years. So so it's a good tool. Just do it right. Remember, just like the estimates have to be paid on time, not to go on about that too much, but your tax needs to be paid April 15th. So right. if you do have another preparer, you're doing it yourself. Make sure they're calculating any possible balance due. I know it could be a rough number and pay that with your extension, okay? Got it. Um, is it too late to start the S-Corp for 2022? Yes. In other words, it is, okay. Um, well, well, not necessarily. We there, there, there is a revenue procedure that will let us, um, that will, that, the problem is it's not formed in the year yet. It's, it's if it was formed before, if it was formed in 22 to be a little easier, just have that person give me a call so we could talk about it separately. Okay, perfect. That, you know, I would love to help with that, but I always like to be honest about what's possible. Right. I'm going just quickly through some of these. Um, can you deduct two vehicles used for business or only one? Yes, I can deduct as many as I use. I have two cars. And of course, I just keep track, just keep track of the mileage the same way. Right. So one might be a thousand miles a year. And one might be 10, 20,000 miles a year, but sure. And then on the tax return, we simply have two vehicles listed 
and we put the information down. So that's why having the mileage method, remember the higher the mileage, the better. So okay. if you use the mileage method, it's even, it's very easy to show two cars. Perfect. Um, any suggestion for writing off entertainment? Is that the same person? Nope. Different person. Writing off entertainment? You mean like, again, you can't take hotel rooms or things like that. It all depends. Have them, have them give me an example in the chat of what they're talking about. Okay. Like tickets and country club. No country clubs and tickets to sporting events or concerts is, is not deductible. Okay. Um, okay. This one, um, what about a simple K? Somebody asked. You mean a solo 401k? Uh, just says simple K. I'm not sure what they're referencing. Um, right, well, if it's, if it's, I'm looking here. Right. If it's right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the solo 401k is very similar to a SEP IRA. But remember, we don't know what that number is until we do the tax return. And then uh, there, there's, there is some benefit sometimes to a solo 401k as a self-employed person. But we look at that when we do the return, what might be better. So it's really a discussion to be had. I don't know what those benefits are until I have, until I have the, um, until I have the actual tax return done. But, yep. but like I said, at the time we go over all the benefits of either one. Okay. Two more quick questions. Can you write off a um, home office if you're renting? Yes. Okay. And um, can you talk about? LLC versus S Corp in more detail. Why choose one over the other? I don't I, know. But I just don't want to take too long. I but yeah, yes, well, exactly. yeah. So so well, well, Gloria, can I take the time and, and talk about it a little Absolutely. bit? Absolutely. Oh yeah, yeah. Okay, great. So is everyone looking at my slide or are you looking at the gallery view? What is everyone seeing right now? Slide. I can see great. your slide. All right, great. So that's okay. So let me so, so let me explain as a sole proprietor. Let's say you make $100,000 on your Schedule C. Remember, there's self-employment tax on that, and everyone knows that's a lot of money. But where does it come from? Well, if we think back to when we were a W-2 employee, everyone has Social Security and Medicare withheld on their, on their pay stub. Now, those two things are FICA, and, and that's 7.65%. So now people don't realize that your boss at the time had to, had to match that. So that's 15.3%. So that goes to the government out of every dollar. Now, what happens when you're self-employed like us, we have to pay both sides of that. So let's say you made $100,000 W-2, you would have had $7,650 withheld in FICA and your boss would have matched that, giving you 15,300. When you're self-employed, you would pay 15,300, both sides of that, okay? So now where does the S-Corp come in? So depending how much money you make, the, the S-Corp is used to try to save some of that FICA. That's the idea. So let's say we have an S-Corp now that makes the $100,000 and not your Schedule C. All right, so we can give you a $50,000 W-2 out of the S-Corp and give you a dividend flow through a $50,000. So your, your taxable income is the same, but your FICA taxable or self-employment taxable is half. So in that, in that case, if you think about it, you would save $7,650. Does that make sense to the person that asked the question? Everyone understand that? Yep. All right, great. But you have to be careful because there, there are rules with the IRS about what's reasonable compensation. 
So the so taking 50% of that as wages might be a little low, but so that's what, but the more money you make, the more it could make sense. So that's more discussions to see how much you're making, because remember, if you are an S corp, you now have to do an S corp tax return, which is more expensive than just doing your 1040, a little, sometimes much more expensive. And you also have to do payroll for yourself. So you, you want to watch how much money you make. And if it's worth it with the like I said, we're going to save in my example, $7,650. But, and, 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 and that would be worth it. It's the, your, your costs in tax prep are not going to be that high at all. So if you're making a hundred grand or more net, not gross, then it could be worth it to elect S corporation going forward. Perfect. Um, I just wanted to mention that in the uh, invites that I had sent out, I have Chris uh, Whalen's contact information. So um, you will be able to contact him directly after this to get some of these questions answered. Um, and so what I'm going to do is, quick question, can you fund a SEP and a Roth in the same year? Usually you're going to max out the one and the answer is the answer's no. Right. Um, okay. And um, how do you fund the S Corp if commission has to be paid to individuals in New Jersey? How do you, fund, how do you fund the S Corp? Yeah, I guess that the way I'm reading this question is that because they can still only be paid as individual, the real estate commission gives us the regulation on being paid as an LLC. They're getting you know, paid as an individual. How are they putting the money into their S Corp? Well, well, now that the rules are changing, you would have your checks written to the LLC or S Corp from now on. Well, that can't happen yet. It's it's at least six months out right now. We're waiting right. on the real estate commission on that. So once that yeah, happens, well, I, well, I, I think I think it's going to happen. So, yeah. so, so I'm, I'm betting on trying to plan. I can't wait till the fall to plan for these things. So, right. you know, so I would, I would, I'm people I've talked to, I believe it's just a matter of formality for them to sign it. So I would, if you wanted to do, do an S corp or an LLC for some reason, I think you should plan on doing it just so we're ready now at the beginning of the year. Do you have a lot of people using S corp realtors? I, I, I probably have. I probably have 15 or 16 people right now that I'm going through the process of forming an escort for them. Okay. And um, does it increase the audit risk for Realtor? Um, no, not at all. Okay, perfect. In all fact, right, we'll continue on. And, uh, well, and, uh, but the question, uh, that audit risk question is good. So yep. let's think about it this way. Let's say I have, I make 500,000 gross in my business and I'm a Schedule C for years. Suddenly I'm an S-Corp now making 500,000 gross. So it puts you, it brings you from a large Schedule C risk to a very small S corp risk. Think about it. In the pool of Schedule Cs, that's a high gross number. In the pool of S corps, it's a lower number to make that person feel better. Does that make sense? Yes. Perfect. Okay. All right, that's all caught up. All right. Great. Wow. Okay. Um, all right. So let's go. So now I'm going to talk about this is for everybody, especially realtors, but everyone else who, might be thinking about how they invest their money. So which investment is safer? It's a tale of two investments. Don't be scared. It's not that spooky. So here, so I'm going to show you investment A and investment B. And what I'm going to do is go down here with attributes of each in different categories. It won't take long. And, and I want you to get an idea of, of how safe each one is. So let's say first one, I'm going to compare the attributes, like I said. 
So the first one is very volatile, unstable values. The second one is stable values. We have valuations not based in reality with investment A, and in B, they are really based in the market in reality. I can't hold or touch my investment A, which would bother me, and, and investment B, I can. Um, investment A, many things are out of my control that impact the value of my investment A, but it's the opposite with, with investment B. I have wide swings of gain or loss in investment A and small in B, and I have no scientific way to estimate future value or cash flows with A, and I have future values and cash flows can be accurately predicted. Now, if we look at this list, it's a very honest list. I have a lot of experience. I'm a professional. Investment B seems a lot better. Don't we all agree that investment B, I would never invest in investment A in my life, which I don't. And that's because it's the stock market versus the investment properties. So even realtors I talk to, I, I, I do seminars for so many of them. I always say by a show of hands, how many of you know that investment properties are a better bet than the stock market? Hardly anyone raises their hand, even though you sell the product. So it's always better. Real estate is always better than the market, even for more reasons than this. I urge, I urge agents to have this printed out at their desk so they can talk to clients about it because clients, remember, the, the reason why there's fear of the stock market is all propaganda that was that was espoused by all the big brokers. Because remember, Fidelity and Goldman do not make money on stock on real estate. They want they want to make that point on all your investment money. That's why it's demonized. So I, I can I can argue this all day long. I've never lost this argument with anybody in uh, 37 years. So here, I believe that investment property market is ignored as an investment property strat strategy by almost everyone. And it's due to vague fears and misunderstandings. So if there's anyone who was, who was anyone if they could put in the chat, who before they, they saw this thought that the stock market's always safer than real estate. I'd love to know if anyone thought that and if I could change, if I changed their mind at all. All right, so this is for real estate agents especially. So here's, if you're Monmouth Ocean County realtor, this is where you've been selling and everyone has been doing great. And suddenly we're not doing so great. Inventory's down. Sellers still are unrealistic about pricing. We all know that. So it's this is cutthroat. This is the cutthroat area. And I would, I would, I would be thinking outside the box, right? I would be thinking of investment property strategies. And what I tell realtors is we we could be 50 miles outside the border of New Jersey, and we could be selling investment properties all day long, and it's a lot less competition. So it's it's frustrating for me because a lot of realtors just stick with wanting to sell forever homes, even when we have a, a problem with the market in that now, when there's so much so much opportunity here, right? So how many of you have emailed your existing residential clients with investment property opportunities? And usually the answer is none. I mean, I get I get tons of letters and email feed from hundreds of realtors. I haven't seen one in six months, right? So why don't we, this is a perfect time to tell them to divest the gains and diversify into hard assets, namely real estate. Clients, clients mostly in stocks and bonds are at risk. Remember, bonds and stocks can't really hedge each other the way they tell you. It's one small bubble of investment. If everything is there, you're very much at risk. At least pull some money out and diversify into hard assets. Here's an email idea. Subject line, why stay up at night worrying about the Dow Jones? Call me so I can show you 
how real estate investments can help you sleep at night. Real estate beats the stock market in every measure, right? So I hope you all found this worthwhile. Email me your contact info and subscribe to my blog. Are there any questions? Okay, I think I had um, two more. Hang on one second. Um, regarding, I'm looking, I'm looking too. Yep, regarding the S Corp, are we issuing a new corporation or just filing our LLC as an S Corp? Right, if you have an existing LLC already, you can do an entity change or classification change to make it an S Corp. So you don't have to form a new company. But if you're going from scratch and you know it's going to be an S Corp, go right to S Corp. Don't don't you don't do an LLC. Um, what percentage of home internet can be claimed? Well, what I do is I have it all depends on your percentage use. So remember, when it comes to home office, it's very important. Everyone gets bogged down. And what percentage do I am I using exclusively? So don't worry about that at first. Just do my worksheet or keep track of every item in that house, maintenance, lawn, you know, roofing, anything you have done to the house, because we're going to grand total that. Then we talk, including home internet, home phone, things like that. Then we talk about what exclusive use is. So don't get bogged down. And remember, if you do have an exclusive area in your home that you use for business, Though anything you do to that area is a hundred percent deductible, so that's treated like a fully like a full commercial space for you. So if you do you do blinds, wallpaper, a lot of people are are fitting up that room because they're doing video. So if you buy a desk there, so remember that's a hundred percent deductible. Include that as a regular schedule C or business expense, and don't put it with your home home office worksheet. Which brings up a quick question on um, um, if you, where would the cutoff be for the agent and um, for the agent's taxes that you do with regard to, let's say, furniture? You know, should they capitalize that or expense it, or Section well, One Seventy Nine? Any anything they buy, any anything 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 you buy in the house. Are you saying exclusively for your area for business or the whole house? I'm talking exclusively for the home office. Let's say yes, you buy yes, a that's, desk. That's so imagine a home office is a separate space you're renting. All right. So, it, so, so mm -hmm. I, I have to do that as a trick in my head. So, all right. Yes. So that's so you would never think of it as home office related. You would just pay it 100% out of the business account. Perfect. Right. And then it, right. becomes, it becomes a full 100% deduction on the. So, all right. If you buy furniture for that room, carpeting, you know, any draperies, things like that, it's all and computers for that room. Anything to do with that exclusive space is 100% deductible. Okay. Somebody else wrote um, syndication, question mark, Texas, Florida, question mark. So can I have, so, so um, let's see. I'm looking who, so J Judy, I know Judy. So J Judy, so, so what's the specific question? Well, in terms of real estate investments, do you uh, advocate syndications where you, you can be hands off, but still get some deductions. Oh yeah, yeah. There's no doubt. Even if you're a right, if, right. If you're a partial owner, I'm still taking all those deductions prorated based on what your ownership is, right? Right. Okay. So no, so that's, not, that's still do you right. Like syndications. I say it again. Do you like syndications? I like syndication only when it serves the purpose, right? Sometimes, like, there's people that don't necessarily want to have as much hands-on, right? Mm -hmm. So, 
I love, I love, I love all real estate investment as long as it's done right. And I can review all the contracts and my, you know, my clients are protected, right? Sometimes clients emotionally jump into things like a syndication deal, but they don't read the fine print. So, so I, I know I'm not a lawyer, but a lot of the deals you sign, there's, there's a tax component, right? Sometimes that, so I should always be reading that tax component of a contract or a syndication or when you're getting involved in a REIT, for example. I'm thrilled with that because I didn't know how to assess it myself. Well, fantastic. Well, thank you, Judy. Great. Um, and if I, someone said, can I repost the email idea? So Kevin, yeah. I put my email, just send me an email. I'm going to put my email again right now and just ask me in the subject to send you that email idea. Okay. And remember, well, let's just talk about the real estate investors quickly. What do they remember? That's a totally different sale. My forever home sale is totally different. Remember, investors don't care about cul-de-sacs, technology, granite countertops, school systems. They don't care. They're looking at the bottom line. The one good thing about selling real estate for investing is that they don't care if it's going up in value. Can you imagine if you don't have to worry about that selling real estate? Because most of my clients, they're never going to sell it. They're buying it for the pension replacement, which is what it really is. That's a whole separate seminar on how I, my system is used to replace the pensions of old, We, you, like my dad has. So I hope that answers that question. Um, what are the implications when you sell the home where you had a percentage home office? Great question. Now, remember, that's always a concern. I did mention it in my slide that when... The only time you can have an an, an, uh, an impact is when you, if you've depreciated the house within the home office deduction, right? Basis reduction depreciation. But most times we don't do that because the, the number is very low, right? So most times it, that's not an issue. Your home member, think about it this way. It has nothing to do with the basis of your house. You're being reimbursed for your out-of-pocket costs, right? You are paying for all the space in your house and all the maintenance. And you're, you're, you, you, you're, you no longer can use part of this for personal use because your business is using it. So just as if you went to the store, the post office to buy postage with cash, you'd reimburse yourself. So that's the logic of what you're doing. It has nothing to do with basis. It doesn't affect your gain. Again, unless you've depreciated, and most times we don't do that. All right, so that's a very good question. And everyone needs that clarified because people avoid the home office thinking that whole deduction is going gonna, is gonna to impact their gain later. And it's not true. Okay, so can I read the next one about the individual investments going to an LLC? That's the next question. Sorry, Chris, I lost you. Kimberly, can you hear me? Gloria, can you hear me? I can hear you. Can you hear me? I can. Yes, great. I can so, Kimberly, Kimberly, great question. So, first of all, remember, there's a lot of misunderstandings about LLC. Everyone thinks they can get an LLC, then go run people over. I don't know why they think that. I'm, I'm free and clear. But, but, but what's happening is even if you have an LLC, if you're the landlord person, right? Gloria owns a rental property and she failed to fix the sidewalk. The LLC doesn't protect you. So the most important thing with rental properties is to have insurance. I was recording. I have, I, 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 I only invest in real estate. 
I only have maybe two of my properties that are in LLCs because I'm in a partnership with someone. I don't have any of mine in LLCs. I have insurance and I have, I have a personal umbrella of insurance on my home. So remember, the most important thing is that you want legal fee insurance is what it is. If you have the right, I've, I, I haven't had one client in my whole career that had the proper insurance on an investment property that came out of pocket for a penny. So yes, an LLC, sometimes it's helpful. There's different strategies, but remember there's no tax benefit. Uh, sole member LLC owning a rental property, you'll still file that as a Schedule E on your mm -hmm. tax return, similar to a sole member LLC filing a Schedule C. So it does, the thing the LLC protects you on is agency. So if you have an LLC and you have a property, if you send a contractor in there and something happens with them, then you're protected from that. So that, but that rarely happens. So there is, there is a protection, but not what people think. So just have the right insurance. If it makes you feel better to make an LLC, but remember the banks don't like to like give mortgages to LLCs. So normally you got to put it in your name and then move it to the LLC anyway. And that's always a good conversation with me when you're thinking about it or getting close. Chris, what should we do? So don't worry about making an LLC. Find the right property, get the right deal, close on it. Then we could always move it to the LLC anytime. Okay. Thank you. Thanks, Chris. I my my computer shut down, so I had to move. There's one last question here. Um, did bonus depreciation drop to 80% this year? In 20, I have to, I have I have to look it up to make sure because it's based on the class. So Eddie, if you could send me an email and give me that question, I'll definitely answer that for you today. I just want to make sure I check the different asset classes because it, it bonus depreciation affects many different things. I just want to give you an honest, a clear answer. Perfect. Does anyone have any other questions? I think we've covered everything in the messages. I helped out Paul Virick the other day, right, Paul? Yes. <clears throat> yes, you did. Um, perfect. That was the 1031 exchange. On investment property, have typical insurance, but then add a personal umbrella on primary residence. Right. I have I have a $2 million umbrella personally. I have my professional liability like you guys have. Um, I have my commercial liability. But it's always good if you're in business. That $2 million is so cheap. It's only a couple hundred bucks a year. And it and what it does is it, it covers you for anything that's not covered. You have a car accident where, you're, where, where your limits aren't meeting what you need. It's right there. You have a business liability. It's there without a problem as a secondary. So, <laughs> so if you have a home, look into your homeowners, call them and see how much it would be to add a million or two. It's well worth it. Then, then you should have all yeah. peace of mind for any LLCs or any home zone, things like that. Perfect. One last question. Um, so it doesn't make sense to do an LLC if you net under a hundred K. Well, it's the S corp. Well, it doesn't right. It doesn't make sense to do an LLC if you're a realtor or you have insurance already, right? Because your your liability is protected. So if you're a so if you're if you're a realtor and you're making under a hundred thousand net, right? It might not be worth it to do the S corp, but a hundred thousand net it could be worth it. But just be careful because I know there's a lot of unscrupulous lawyers out there that know everyone's excited to possibly be an S corp. And I'm, you know, they're not, they're not really looking at your numbers. So, so, you know, everyone knows I'm measured about it. Let's look at it. I want to give you objective. So, so always give me a call, maybe send me your tax return for 21 
send me an email and say, Chris, you know, we, I was on the Zoom, whatever, on the Google Meet, and we'll look at it together and we can have, you know, a conversation without a problem. I like to see things that, you know, give me some data, like Paul, right? I, I asked Paul the other day to give me more information so I could give him a good, clear answer. So I'm not putting you off. I just like to be effective and based on the reality of your situation because everything's different. Can I mention something about a 1031? Yes. Okay, 1031, people get confused about it. If your client or you as an, as an investor in real estate, if you don't need the proceeds from the sale, right, then we can consider a 1031. Any money you take out of your into your hand will be part of your gain. So remember, you can't come to me after you sold and say, let's do a 1031, it's too late. Remember, we have to sell the property and at the closing, we have a special, uh, usually an attorney that's an exchange agent. So let's say you have a $300,000 profit, that goes to them and it it's held in trust. You never take the money, they bring that to the next closing when you buy, okay? And so we have that, so you always tell your clients, we can't take a penny. Every penny I take is going to go to gain. Perfect. Anybody have any questions? Any additional? This was awesome, Chris. Um, I will resend out your information in case anyone needs to reach out to you. Um, and any preference on the subject line so that you know it's coming from here? So you, you know, if Just you want to put Gloria's name first, Gloria Monks, and then a hyphen, you know, that will be great. Okay. And here I'm just gonna just I'm just gonna put this up quick. If anyone wants to take a picture of the screen, all my info is at the bottom. Perfect. That's great. That's a nice easy email. Chris Whalen CPA at gmail.com. And that's that that's that's where I am all the time. Awesome. Well, I, I just I can't yes, tell you I, how much I appreciate everyone coming. I I try to be as effective as possible. I know I go to presentations and I'm I'm like, why am I here? So <laughs> I try to make it detail and things you can use in your business. And anyway, again, uh, subscribe to my blog. It's really worthwhile. I promise you, you can ask my clients who are listening right now. Anybody have nothing else? If anything else, send me an email. I'll get back to you right away. Thanks so much, Chris. Thanks for being here today. And thanks everybody for coming. I'll talk Thank to you, you all soon. Have a great weekend. See you guys. Thank you.